As we continue in our exposition of John in 16th chapter, let me say in fairness, we ought not to be overly critical of the apostles. It is certainly easy to do that when you read a text like this or you've been with us and seen some of the things that have been going on. But in fairness, I think they were a little overwhelmed. I know I would have been in the situation that they were in. First of all, they're trying to celebrate the Passover. Maybe you've forgotten that because months have gone by in our study. But they've been celebrating the Passover with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has said he's leaving them. They cannot understand that. Judas has already left the scene. He's gone. They've been told recently that they will be persecuted. Or if I stopped right there, that's enough. But they are deeply sorrowful. And they are told that they can't even handle the things that he's trying to tell them, so he's not going to tell them more. He'll tell them later. And yet, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So they're overwhelmed with what they're hearing, overwhelmed with what's happening, and they cannot put it all together. Over and above that, I would guess, if they were anything like I would be, they're also physically exhausted. Why? Because of all they've been through. Just in this day that they've been faced with. And the day's now late. So they are overwhelmed and they're trying to still figure things out and time is growing short. In fact, from Jesus' perspective, he's only a few hours away from the cross. And yet, he's still trying to shepherd them. He's still trying to encourage them. And in this passage, before we get to chapter 17, he's got two more essential things that I want to just summarize that he's going to say to them in the remainder of this chapter. One is... You will have joy, and no one will be able to take that away. You're going to have a joy, and no one's going to be able to take that away. That's today. And secondly, he will teach them at the next lesson that though they would be scattered, Jesus has overcome the world, and they can rejoice in that, and they will have peace in their hearts no matter what they face, knowing that Jesus has overcome but today we look at this sorrow or this weeping that will be turned into joy. So let's try to deal a little bit with the text and we'll expand when we get to the third section of it. First of all, we find the statement that is made. He says, a little while. He says, a little while, they'll no longer see him. A little while, they'll see him. Let me just address this and we'll expand on it when the Lord does a little bit later in verse 19. But for now, the simple statement is, meaning in a small space of time. Let me just put it to you that way, and we'll expand on that. And so what he's saying, in a small space of time, you will no longer see me, but you will see me again. And just in making that statement in verse 16, you'll notice in verses 17 and 18 that they become confused. And again, before we become overcritical, just think about the things that I just said to you. And we hear that statement, and... By the way, you may be saying, well, that's pretty easy to figure it out. Well, hold on and stay with me this morning. But in verses 17 and 18, I want you to notice, particularly in verse 18, they were really wanting to know. It's like you or I, just for a moment here, coming to the service today and wanting to know what the Word of God says. It would be like you taking your Bible, and I don't believe anybody takes their Bible up and starts reading and says, you know, I really don't care what it says. Or when they're reading it, they, don't, they look at it and say, well, I really don't want to know anyway. 
That's not the case. The disciples really do want to know. It's in verse 18, it's an imperfect tense. They kept on asking this. That's what it's saying. So they were saying, in other words, they kept on asking, what does this mean? They really wanted to know, but they couldn't grasp it. They were still, they couldn't rely on just their intelligence. And I want you to notice this, they had the best teacher in the world right there. They had God himself. Don't be discouraged if you pick up the Bible and you read and you say, I really want to know, but I just don't understand. Stay with it. Stay with it. It's also a reminder that we cannot just understand. You can go to seminary. You can study the Bible all your life. You can go to a Christian academy. You can end up reading the word every day. And if yet that's all you're relying on, you will not really understand, though you may go around bragging about what you know. And the longer you study the word of God, the more you find out you don't know. It isn't so much what you do know. You cannot rely. They had the greatest teacher. They had the Lord Jesus Christ, and still they needed the Holy Spirit in order to be able to understand future things and spiritual things. And that is also true with us. No wonder he had just promised them and has continued to promise them, and stay with this one, the Holy Spirit. So he simply says, in a small space of time, these things are going to happen. You'll not see me, you'll see me. And they are just absolutely confused with what is going on, and they're trying to find out. So when we come down to verse 19, and that's really what you've got in 16 through 18, just the fact of this statement of a little while, and they're trying to figure it out. They cannot figure it out. They're deliberating about it. And then when you come to verse 19 forward, the Lord, I put it in this way, gives the explanation, but it's really not true. He doesn't answer the question. But he does give really more of an illustration when we go into verses 19 through 24 to kind of help them to understand. But now we come back to that expression because Jesus brings it up in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wished to, what? Question him about what? And what were they delivering about? This expression, a little while. And so we see that everything does center around this statement, a little while. Uh, Jesus not being seen, Jesus being seen again, Jesus going to the Father. And it begs the question, I think, for us, what is he talking about? What is the possibility? What does he mean by a little while? And you may be sitting there saying, well, that's pretty self-evident, Pastor Dan. It's obvious what he's talking about. Well, let me give you three possibilities that are here, and then I'll deal uh, with it. First one is that he's simply talking about the period after his resurrection, that he's referring to his death, and they won't see him when he dies, and then when he resurrected again, they'll see him again, and that's it. It's that simple. That's what he's talking about. That's possible. The second one is that he's dealing with his death and the coming of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by that? Well, that he's really referring to his death and then his ascending to the Father, where they won't see him anymore, and then the Holy Spirit's coming, and the Holy Spirit's coming, they will see him again, and in a sense, through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a possibility. You say, well, that doesn't sound good. Hold on. Well, the third one, it's, uh, this is not an uncommon interpretation, that he's referring to the second advent, and we sang about that this morning, his return to earth, that this little while is you won't see me because I'm going to die and I'm going to go to my father, and then I'm going to come back to the earth at some point in time, and then you'll see me again. So he's really talking in terms of a longer stretch of time 
although the word a little while with God doesn't mean uh, anything significant, so it's still relatively short as far as God's concerned. Any one of those really could fit the context, and any one of those, if you look at commentaries, will say that that is the case. So how do we find out, Pastor Dan? What makes us find out? Well, I think we let Scripture explain itself. And we go back to see what the Scriptures say, and then we draw our conclusions. That's what I would suggest to you. And all we're going to do is simply stick to John. And not that it, isn't, it isn't that we couldn't go outside of John, but how has John been referring, and what has Jesus been teaching them? Turn with me in your Bibles, first of all, with this expression, a little while, and let's see if we can draw our own conclusions. Go to chapter 7. John chapter 7. Follow it along. This is just the expression, as John has been using it, a little while. In John chapter 7, verses 33 through 36, watch. Jesus said this, therefore, now we get the chief priests and the Pharisees here, therefore, Jesus said, here it is, for a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, he's referring to the Pharisees, not his apostles here, but he said, you will seek me and will not find me, for where I go, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go into dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is the statement that he said, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? I think it's safe to draw a conclusion just on this passage that he's dealing with leaving them because he says so and going to where? The Father. He's going to go to him who sent me in this passage. He's talking about going to the Father in this particular instance. Go with me to chapter 12, John chapter 12. So his death is included, but also his going to the Father. In John chapter 12, verses 32 to 36. Let's take a look at that. And pay attention particularly for verse 35, but 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, that is the death, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate, notice, what kind of death by which he would die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light, that is Christ, is among you. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke as he went away and hid himself from them. Certainly he's referring to the cross and his death, and while he is here that the, they have the light, but in a little while he would not be here. Go with me to chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Chapter 13, this is just where he's been using this expression. Both so far in reference to his death and also in reference to going to the Father. 1331. Now he's with his apostles. Therefore he began, excuse me, therefore when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, 
and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little, little children, I am not with you a little while longer. He's talking to his apostles. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, we just looked at that, now as I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Then he talks about love as the new commandment. Jump down to verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, a rooster will crow and will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now, chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. What's he talking about? A little while he would be with them, then he was returning again to the Father. Chapter 14. This is all part of our text in chapter 16. In chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Take a look. For I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now watch this. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Why? Here's his explanation. Because I live in you, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I in you. When I go, he says, and I go to the Father, in that little while, you will no longer see me, but then you will see me. When will you see me? When I am in you, and you are in me. In that text, he's talking about him leaving, he's talking about his death, and he's also talking about the Holy Spirit when he comes. Now, I want you to compare that to what he's teaching. Remember, you might have thought it was pretty boring information to hear that chapter 13 through chapter 16 was all a unit, and it all goes together. Why is that important? I want you to see what he's been instructing them. Remember the question that they're asking in our text. What does this mean that he's going and uh, we can't see him and we will see him and he's going, what did they say? To the Father. What does all of this mean? It's in the same context. They're trying to put it together. John chapter 14 now again. Look at verse 12 through 17. Look at what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these you will do, because I go to the Father. Now, does this sound familiar to our text today? Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, now watch, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world, watch, cannot receive 
because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be where? In you. Verse 26 of chapter 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Does that sound like chapter 16? Does he not say that you will not have to know anything? You won't question anything later. You will know. He's talking about going to the Father. He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15 of this text. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that, what? My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be, what? Full. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit will remain. Why? So that whatever you, there it is again, ask in the Father, of the Father in my name, he will give it you. Verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, and here it is again, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. One more text. John chapter 16. Look at verses 5 through 11 again. We just studied this. But now I am going to him. He's definitely been talking about his death, his going to the Father. I am going to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Remember this? That I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jump down to verse 12. I have many, remember this last week? I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Okay, Pastor Dan, you overwhelmed us with all of those verses. What in the world are you talking about? When he's been talking about a little while, very consistently through this book, he has been referring to his death. He has been referring to going to his father. And he's been comforting his apostles with the fact that I am sending someone to you and you will see that it all fits together. Then you will understand all things. Then you will pray to me and you will get answers like you didn't before. Then you will also understand the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he will be in you. And you will not only see and understand the Father, you will see and understand me, and you will understand the things of God. What are we saying? I think it goes way beyond just seeing him. And if you look at the context, it isn't just seeing him after the resurrection. That only lasted 40 days. The joy wouldn't be just full at that stage. And what is he dealing with? He's been teaching them about his death. He's been teaching them about being with the Father. He's been teaching them about the Holy Spirit coming, and he's very consistently, from chapter 13 through chapter 16, been teaching them about the joy that they will experience when this happens. 
And so I would propose to you that what this little while is, is the come right up to the coming of the Holy Spirit in their life. That he's dealing with the whole thing, not just the 40 days, but that their joy will be full when that happens, that they will begin to understand that they will be taught all things and that their joy will be experienced in their life. And it was evidenced right through the book of Acts, as you see, no matter what trial, tribulation came into their life, nobody took the joy away. That happened after the Holy Spirit came. So this little while here, I think that he's referring to, refers personally to that period of time. Also, the illustration that he gives, I think, demonstrates it too. And also points a little bit to his cross. Because in verse 21, so he says to you, are you puzzled by that? And when he says, you'll see me again, then he comes up and he begins to explain some things. Jump down to verse 21, I'll come back to 20. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she is in pain. Ask any woman, they will tell you that. Because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that child of that child has been brought into the world. Woman in childbearing, I've never experienced, never will experience, never want to experience, and we'll leave that with the woman. And I think it's pretty true. I've seen woman in pain. I've witnessed it firsthand. Well, secondhand, I guess, because I saw it. But, um, you know, there's sorrow. And so but when the joy comes, it's greater. It's even greater when that child comes into the world. And we understand that. And he uses that with his apostles. Why? Because they're facing his death. They're facing his leaving them. And now what? It's going to cause weeping and sorrow. Look at verse 20. Truly I say to you, you will weep. You will lament. And I'll get to the world for a second. And then he also says, then they will have grief. He says in verse 20, but your grief. They're going to weep. They're going to cry. There's going to be sorrow. And by the way, in Jewish times, it was interesting because it was usually pretty much expressed openly. In fact, I won't go into the detail of it, but they did even hire professional mourners who would come in and mourn for them when they lost loved ones. You see that in the Gospels. But it was going to be obvious that these people would be crushed and they would be weeping because Jesus Christ had died and he was taken from them. But that was an outward thing that would be seen at first, but it's going to be turned into joy in their lives. But before I get to that, you'll notice this. He says, unlike the, the, the apostles, verse 20, the world will what? They're going to rejoice. When Christ died, when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died, there's rejoicing from the world. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they shouted for his crucifixion. Why would they rejoice? I'm going to tell you why they'd rejoice. No more accountability in their mind. No more exposure. Remember, Christ has been exposing their sin. Christ has been exposing that their righteousness was like filthy rags. And again, I think this ties into my interpretation here. Because we just learned in verses 7 through 11, what? That when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come and continue to carry on that ministry. The world might rejoice, but it's temporary. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to bring conviction on them. The world would love to eliminate Christianity. 
It's almost like, let me just compare to one passage in Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation 11. I was reminded of this when I studied. Came back to my mind. Revelation chapter 11. There's a day yet to come in which in dealing with the tribulation and so forth and the way God will deal with this world in the future, which I believe is still future, the day is coming in which he sends into this world two witnesses for him. And in Revelation chapter 11, they are finally killed. And I want you to see something. It says in verse 9, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be raised in the tomb. And those who dwell on the earth, what do they do? They rejoice over them. They celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another. Why? Because these two prophets tormented. What do they, how do they torment them? With the truth. Those who dwell on the earth see that the torment is coming from them being exposed and seeing the righteousness of God being explained. Pastor Chris referred to Christmas. This is like Christmas for the world. They rejoice over these two witnesses. But it's only temporary because, as you know in the context, they get up and they are called up to heaven, and now the world is in shock and in trouble. Same thing happened with Christ. They rejoiced over the fact that Christ was crucified. But that isn't the end of the story. And again, I would say by application, why do you see resistance to Christianity? There always has been and there always will be. Why? They don't want to be exposed. This world does not want to hear the word sin. And unfortunately, even Christians don't like that when they're in it. They don't like to hear it. It makes them uncomfortable. But as Christians, we are a light to them, a light of the gospel, but without them seeing that sin had to be paid for. Death. People don't want to talk about death. At funerals, if you talk about death, which I always do at funerals, and talk about the fact that there's no hope beyond the grave besides Christ, the world doesn't want to hear about that. And they think by eliminating prayer, by eliminating the Bible, by eliminating Christians, it's just going to go away. No, it's not, because Christ was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the world is still going to be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We've already seen that. And it's only temporary. The problem really is dealing with that application when Christians lose their lights, when they're no longer a light. I think a good test of that is what the scriptures say, and I'm going to paraphrase it. If you have so many friends that everybody likes you, and everybody, and you're just that likable person and so forth, there's nothing wrong with having that personality. But when the world speaks good of you, watch out. You had better look closely at your testimony, because you probably don't have one before them. They think you're just like them. And they won't go by your words. They'll go by what they say. They'll go by what they see in the light. So his comments to them is the world's going to rejoice, but that's temporary. Well, you're going to weep, and that's also temporary. What brings the joy? I think this is important, and I want to make sure I get this across this morning before we end up closing. He says, your grief will be turned to joy. Now, what's going to make the apostles joyous? What does he mean that their grief? What was the grief that they had? Think about it. It's the cross. It's the death of their Savior. 
That is going to bring them grief. What causes the world to rejoice? What is it? The death of Christ. The cross. And I want you to see this, that what he's saying to them, the language here is such that what he's saying to them, it is that same event that is going to bring them the joy. It's not a future event. That isn't what he means here. When he's talking and he says in verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief, and then he says, will be turned into joy. He's not talking about the second coming of Christ. He's not talking about something else. That which brought them sorrow will bring them joy. What is it? It's what we just celebrated. To the world, all they look at is a cross and a crucified Savior. And we weep over that. When it comes to concepts like Good Friday, folks, and we have a service. Yes, there was tremendous pain. Movies have been made about that. And sorrow. And they wept over his crucifixion. But it's the same cross that brings victory. And it's the same cross. Yes, we'll rejoice when he returns, and we're looking for that. But don't miss the significance that he's trying to give to the apostles. That which brings joy to them, for the wrong reasons, will bring joy to you. And your grief will be turned in that same event over to joy. Why? Because you will realize something. What is that? That is what has paid for your sin. That is what gives you forgiveness of sin. That is what brings eternal life. And that is why it is very narrow and there is only one way. And it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. The world can seek all its ways, that wide gate, that wide way. And can try religion, can try self-righteousness, can try good works and whatever it wants to try. But none of that will bring true joy. And that's why you have people pursuing religion, pursuing good works, pursuing money, riches, fame. They pursue it all. And what does it ultimately bring? That's what brings sorrow. Oh, they might rejoice in putting Christianity aside. And we might sorrow over the death of Christ, but that same event brings joy because our sins have been paid. It brings joy to our heart. It is the cross. It is the outcome, just like with the pregnancy. The same event that had that pain in it is the same event that brings the joy. This, that's the illustration. That's the point of it. It isn't a different event. That same event, that pregnancy that was difficult, during that same process, in the end, it brings joy. The cross is difficult. In the end, it brings joy to the Christian because it satisfies the soul. The payment has been paid. And we, we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous joy. And so we look at the cross and we see sorrow. That's the whole point of the illustration. Therefore, you too, see, therefore, the same based on the illustration, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. There's eternal salvation, by the way, eternal security as well, I believe, and no one will take that away from you. 
You can't have that joy taken away. Nothing will separate us from the love that's found in Jesus Christ. Our joy in Christ can never be taken away by the world, ever. He says, and in that day, that's why, again, I think it's referring more than just that 40 days. It's when the Holy Spirit comes, everything he's been teaching them. And he says, you won't have any other questions in the sense that you will know then. And you, if I were to take the time and trace it, you would see that the apostles understood after his resurrection. They understood after the Holy Spirit. And now they were bold. And it didn't matter whether they died or whatever. They were ready to go out and give the gospel message. Their joy never escaped. And they could pray anything. And you notice his desire. Ask anything. Why the purpose of prayer, by the way? Because I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I want to go back to the cross. But why spend the time in prayer? That your joy might be full. There is nothing like praying for a situation in your life or somebody else's life and seeing God answer those prayers. What is the application here? I want to give a couple of minutes to this. We glory in the cross. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. That's the event. His cross is going to the Father. And that same event that brings sorrow even to us is what brings joy. Just one verse on this because I want to get to something else. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast. Where do I boast? Except in the cross. What cross? Any cross? No. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, I'm going to rejoice in anything else but the cross. He became a curse for us. And that's what crucifies the world to me and I to the world. We've seen that verse recently before. And we see that where our glory is to be, it's in the cross of Jesus Christ because that's where the payment of our sin came. And they would be able to. They were confused in our text. They didn't know everything that was going on. They couldn't piece it together. His leaving, his death, I showed you that last week. They didn't understand that. His going to the Father, even though he explained it to them, couldn't grasp it. The concept of the Holy Spirit coming, they were trying. They couldn't get it all. But when that day came, they would rejoice. And when you look at Acts chapter 2 and you follow it forward, that's exactly what you see in their life. But it has a practical aspect to it. Go back to your responsive reading. First Peter, go with me. I want you to see this. In First Peter chapter 1, we read through chapter 1 verse 9. But I want you to see this. Go to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? Look at the inheritance we have. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. We're protected by him. Verse 6. In this, we're talking about joy in our text. In this, you greatly rejoice. Now watch this. Even though now, isn't this interesting? For a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Wow. So what's that doing? Proving your faith? And you count it more, much more precious than gold that perishes, though you be tested by fire. What's the result? And I want you to see this. 
Just like with the cross, we cry and weep over the pain and suffering, we rejoice in the cross of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of sins at the very same event. When it comes to the trial, I believe everybody in this auditorium, whether you want to admit it or not, are facing some type of trials and tribulations, difficulties, whether that's emotional, whether that's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's family, whether it's job related, to whatever. And when we're in them, we face sorrow. We have to be honest. And it's difficult. And we don't want other people to see us. There may be even times when you go home and cry, or you cry in the room by yourself because you think it's less spiritual. It is not. And not only that, what I want you to see, it's through those trials, through the very same trials that you are building, if you will. Through the trials, what? The proof of your faith, and it's to be counted much more precious because that's what's resulting in praise and glory to God. And so while we don't like to face the trials, it's through the very things that we get the victory, the very things that God gets the glory, the very thing that contributes, if you will, to our reward in heaven as you continue on through the trials. And in the long run, it brings you joy. And it's an inheritance that's reserved for us, and you want to continue to hold up. Let me give it to you another way that's expressed. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. His disciples, we can't jump all over them. They wanted to know. They really wanted to understand, but they were struggling. They couldn't grasp it. And they were not only in trials now, they were going to be facing some great trials in a few hours. They were going to run away from them. Peter was going to deny him, though he said he wouldn't. And through the very trials, God would use those in Peter's life to conform him, to mold him, to prepare him, and his joy would be full so that he would become such a strong agent for the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as all the other apostles and disciples. But he says, a little while. He says, you're going to scatter. You're going to have grief. You're going to have sorrow. But that sorrow will be turned to joy, even at the cross. And in our trial, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. I want to go back to 16. Do not lose heart. Have you ever done that? I've been honest with you as a pastor. There's been times I just wanted to say, forget it. Can't handle it anymore. I know you guys don't go through those experiences, so I just, just think of me and pray for me, okay? But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed. Watch this, day by day. For a momentary light affliction, and when you're going through it, you honestly say this, are you kidding me? This isn't light. But it's momentary. It's light affliction. Now watch this. It is producing... For us, eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. The cross of Jesus Christ is mocked by the world. They think there's victory for them because he's been crucified. They're wrong. We weep because of it, because of the pain and suffering is. But in the same cross, we rejoice. Not we rejoice over him being crucified. Rejoice in what it meant to us, in what it is for us, in the salvation it is for us. And in trials, it's the same thing. As we're going through trials and tribulation, just like in, an, 
in chapter 16, his apostles were facing, he was saying, just look at a baby being born. It's difficult, but in the long run, you'll rejoice when you see the product. You're going through trials you don't understand. When the Holy Spirit comes, when I've gone, when I've been raised from the resurrection of the dead, yes, and suffered, in time you will see that I am still working. You'll even ask what you will, and your joy will be full. You will go through the situations, and you will then understand things, why the Holy Spirit will have come. And folks, when we're going through the trials, they don't look like light afflictions, but it's bringing eternal weight and glory, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen. And that's what they were doing. I would have. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I hear what you're saying. I don't get it. Got to look beyond that. He says, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. Now close with this. What about us? Are this all we're looking at? Is that what you're seen? Is that what we're living for? You know, if you're honest with yourself, you know that there isn't any possession, there isn't any thing that you've ever built or will build or enjoy that is not going to go by the wayside. And our lives, which are so short, is going to be gone. Are we laying up treasures in heaven? You've heard this before. Are we setting our affections on things above? Do we truly see the trials and tribulations that we go through? And I do the same thing. I ask why or how did this happen and what, what did I do? What did we do? And, and we go through those things. And, but then we need to take a step back and say, wait a minute, God's using the trials. And it's preparing an eternal weight and glory. And this is temporary. And I can understand now a little bit of Peter that it's more precious than gold that perishes because this is working toward eternal joy and eternal inheritance that's already reserved and Christ is preparing for us in heaven. And so when we're going through the trial, don't give up, don't lose heart. But if you're here today without Christ, you got a lot to lose heart about. Because without understanding that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father, satisfied the righteous demands because we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God, and that Jesus Christ is the only way to get forgiveness of sins, and by placing faith in a finished and completed work, that's the only way you'll ever find the joy. That's the only way you'll ever have peace in your heart with God. It is through Jesus Christ, because that is the one that God sent. And so he was comforting his apostles and comforting his disciples and saying, just a little while. And folks, let's bring it back to us. It's just a little while, and we will see our Savior. But you know what? There's exhortation after exhortation to us, fellow believers, to take advantage and make the most of that little while, because it won't be long that it's over. Might we live for Christ now? with our eyes focused on the eternal value. And yes, the trials are difficult, but let's uphold one another. Let's be looking and be sensitive to one another 
so that we can uphold those that are stumbling and falling and, and we lift them up because we're going to need it ourselves. And let's continue to go on for the glory of God and wait for the eternal rewards to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we're no different than the apostles, confused. Sometimes that which is right before us, we still don't see it or understand it. But we thank you that you sent the indwelling Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that one day we are told in 1 John that we will see you and see your son as he is, face to face, in all of his glory. But Father, help us to rejoice even now in trials. We are weak, just like the apostles. We are foolish, just like the apostles. But we also need the encouragement, and we thank you that the word of God is encouraging. We thank you that as we have observed this Lord's table today, we're reminded that Christ died for our sins, that we can rejoice in the cross and glory in it, for in there we find our salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Help us, Father, to live for Christ and to realize even the things that we face day in and day out that are difficult, they're only temporal. They're only for a little while. And they are reserving for us in heaven an eternal weight and glory. And help us to be strengthened by that in the inner man and encouraged not to quit, not to give up, not to lose faith, but, Father, to continue on for the glory of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.